All right. We're going to turn to the book of Luke, but I'd like to pray together first before we do so. Let's come together before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a firm foundation upon which we may build our lives. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling within us, for quickening us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, we pray. Make us a faithful people. Help us to draw near to you now, to hear your word, to walk in it. Equip us and strengthen us for the good fight that you've called us to fight. May we run to win. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, so we're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 11. And we're going to talk about prayer. I've been thinking about prayer. Is this, can you hear me okay through this one? Is this, okay. I've been thinking about prayer as it relates to faith. Everything that we do as Christians is supposed to come from faith. The Lord tells us in Scripture, whatever is not from faith is sin. So everything we do should be an act of faith. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Everything should be an act of faith. Everything we do is an opportunity to honor the Lord by faith, to walk with the Lord through faith, to see his hand all around us by faith. But I was thinking about the act of prayer, and I cannot think of a more explicitly faith-filled action than prayer. Because the other things that we do by faith, we would have to do anyway. There's a way to eat by faith, and there's a way to eat without faith. But everybody eats with or without faith. There's a way to work in faith, and a way to work without faith. But everybody has to work. But when it comes to prayer, either God is real... And you're doing one of the most important things you could ever do, communing with the Holy One, the ruler of the universe, or you're wasting time babbling in your head. So when it comes to acts of faith, when it comes to acts that demonstrate faith, that require faith, that are a manifestation of faith, prayer is perhaps on the top of the list. Because there is no immediate, tangible evidence like there is, I mean, sometimes God answers prayers in dramatic and obvious ways, but even then, it's still an answer to the prayer. You, on extremely rare occasions, might have a Brother Andrew experience where you're praying for the food for the orphans and someone shows up at the front door. I think it just mixed up my Christian heroes, but that was the Mueller's, wasn't it? But both, both of those uh, Christian saints have radical stories of God answering prayer. Amen, hallelujah, and praise the Lord. But most of the time, prayer's not like that. I'm praying for healing on this sick relative or for resolution on this conflict with my wife or for this this child that is straying from the faith or fill in the blank and I'm, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm laboring like Luke read to us this morning about the widow and the judge. I'm persevering with God in prayer. Why? By faith. Because of faith. If you don't have faith, what are you doing? You, why are you there? If God is not real, you're, you're wasting your time. Well, that tells me that prayer is a huge opportunity that we don't want to miss. Because scripture is full of exhortations to us 
about how important faith is. And if faith is important, and if prayer is perhaps the most explicit act of faith possible, then I want to be there. I want to be doing it. So let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about this act of faith from Luke chapter 11, 1 through 14. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a long journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he seeks, as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's start over. Verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying. That's worth stopping on right there. Jesus set an example of prayer. And that is particularly remarkable because if anybody ever did not need prayer, we would think it would be Jesus. God in the flesh, the perfect son of God. If anybody could make it through life without prayer, it would be him. But Jesus put a huge priority on prayer. He spent, it's recorded over and over again in scripture about how he would go off by himself to pray. I'm quite confident that Jesus prayed far more than I do. That's not because I need it more, but it might be at least, well, many reasons. Jesus was perfect, but also maybe he understood it more than I do. Nevertheless, he left us that as an example to be people of prayer. That's the example that our Savior left for us. Let us follow in those footsteps. While he was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. I think that's kind of a funny way to say it. We know the disciples don't seem to have quite gotten everything about who Jesus was until after the death and resurrection of Christ. But if I were talking to Jesus, I wouldn't be asking Jesus to teach me to pray just like that other guy did. Because this is Jesus we're talking about. So teach, teach me to pray better than that guy did because you're the word in the flesh. I just think it's a kind of funny way to ask the question. Regardless, it's still a good question. And still the right person to be asking. And isn't it good of God that in his mercy he doesn't wait for us to ask questions perfectly? 
Jesus just answers. And he said to them, when you pray, say. Now, we normally are used to hearing the Matthew version of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But we're going through the Luke version today. Father, hallowed be your name. If I was going to title what we're talking about today, I would say a pattern for prayer. We're going to look at kind of the pattern that is laid out and some different principles that relate to how we pray. But Jesus gives us a little prayer right here with a structure to it that can be instructive for how we pray in our day-to-day lives. He starts off with what? Praise. There's a primary passion for God's glory. Father, hallowed be your name. He begins by lifting up the name of the Father. Are our prayers God-focused or are they self-focused? That's a question I'm asking myself. Do I come into the Holy of Holies to stand before the God of the universe and talk about me? Now, praise God, we have a loving Father who actually wants to hear our requests. He doesn't reject us just because we come needy. That's part of the point, is that we come needy. But it's good to start by centering our heart on who we're talking to. Father, hallowed be your name. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy, you are glorious, you are good. Let me set my heart aright. Before I come to pray, let me recognize who I'm talking to. It's interesting because we would naturally do this when it comes to humans with authority. If I was going to speak to the king of England, I wouldn't just walk in and say, oh, hi, hey, here's the stuff I need. If I was talking to the president, I wouldn't, I would start with this recognition of who I'm talking to. It would be impactful to me. It would make me think about what I was going to say. And yet somehow when I go before the God of the universe, it's all too easy to just take it for granted. And just maybe go in and whine or something. Well, he's merciful, he's good, he cares for us, he loves us like his children. Praise God for that. But it is good to set our hearts right with this opening line. Father, hallowed be your name. Meditating on the goodness of God. Praising him. Taking time to make sure that that is present in our prayers. That our prayers are not simply just me focused. Okay, next one. Your kingdom come. So if number one is praise, number two is progress. Number one is praise. There's a primary passion for God's glory. Number two is progress. There's a primary passion for kingdom advancement. So Jesus starts with, hallowed be your name, and then your kingdom come. This is what I'm asking for. I'm asking for the advance of the kingdom of God in the earth. My primary question is not, Can you make my life easier, please? Can you please just get rid of the trials? No, my primary desire is that God's name would be hallowed and that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. There's praise, there's progress. So is that progress in my prayer? I love it. Love the, again, the bringing up this morning of praying for our brothers and sisters in chains. What is that? That's thy kingdom come. We've got brothers and sisters around the world who are in chains simply for the name of Christ. And we should be praying, Lord, let your gospel advance. Lord, let the, let the kings kiss the sun. Let justice roll down like waters. Let sinners be brought to repentance. Let the hungry be fed. Let your kingdom come. That also sets our perspective because we started it off by setting our perspective on who God is. And now we're setting our perspective on what we're here for. 
We're here for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So the rest of my prayer should relate to this. Your kingdom come. I want your kingdom to come and I want to be a part of that. That's what I want to be about. Make me an instrument of the advancement of your kingdom. This is an outstanding perspective setter at the beginning of prayer. Your kingdom, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Next, provision. Give us each day our daily bread. Provision. This kind of prayer requires humility. This is an acknowledgement of our need. The very fact that this line is in the prayer assumes that our daily bread comes from somewhere. It assumes that we get fed by someone. You don't need to pray this if your daily bread is simply a matter of you going out there and earning it. You see the implications for faith? See the implications for how we see the world? This world is not just matter. It's not just stuff. It's not just I go punch in at nine, punch out at five, food's on the table. Yes, we are supposed to work. That God does work through means. But through the means of our work, our paycheck, our Walmart, he is feeding us. He takes responsibility for that. He says, that's me. I feed the sparrows and I feed you. Don't get too uppity about the fact that you're bigger and smarter than the sparrows because I feed you too. And because he feeds us, if we have hearts that are humble like they should be, we will say, give us each day our daily bread. Another interesting inclusion in this line is our daily bread. How often do I want yearly bread? Like, Lord, I see all this stuff that I need or I'm going to need soon. Lord, I'm so stressed out and worried because in six months this is going to happen. And in 12 months this is going to happen. And eventually my car's going to break down and I need this and I need this and I need this. And Jesus says, give us each day our daily bread. Thinking of another passage where Jesus talks about the birds. We already talked about the birds, right? The sparrows. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather away in barns. They get literally daily bread. God feeds them one day at a time. Here's your worm for today. Tomorrow I'll give you another worm. The next day I'll give you another worm. Our hearts should be humble like this. We're supposed to have the faith of children. My children don't ask me what's for dinner in three weeks. <laughs> They're just thinking about today. Well, you know what? Mommy's thinking about having food in the cupboard. Daddy's thinking about making sure the bills are paid so that we can feed them in three weeks. They're not. They're just looking forward to the next meal. The Lord invites us to have that kind of faith. Father, give me this day my daily bread. And if the car breaks down... Well, then I guess it'll be time for the Lord to give me provision for the car. But he will. He's my father. And that's how he works, one day at a time. Of course, that doesn't mean it's wrong to save or to make plans for the future. But it is right to have a humble perspective of joy. Recognizing that, you know what, you could save $200,000 and then you could need some sort of surgery and be in debt for $300,000 overnight. That's, that's his life. But God says, guess what? Whether you have a million dollars in your bank account or zero dollars in your bank account, I will provide for you. I am your father. Now, you need to go work. You need to go be diligent. You need to go make your plans. Obey what I said and let me take care of the rest. So we ask for daily bread. 
It's an acknowledgement of our need and a reliant, constant relationship. You're walking in relationship with God. Daily relationship with God. This, this implies that you're praying frequently, too. Because if I ask for daily bread, but I'm not going to talk to God again for another three weeks, then I missed some days. It implies also this, it's this relationship, this, this consistent relationship with God. And it's not just like this blanket request for, Lord, just make me a millionaire. No, give us this day our daily bread. Now, do we pray for power to make wealth? I do. Deuteronomy talks about that. Talks about God giving power to make wealth. I want to be fruitful. I want to be productive. I want to, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Amen. All those principles are there. And they're good. They're glorious. We should be productive. We should build things for the glory of God. I want to have more so I can give more. Right? It's hard to be generous if you're making it paycheck to paycheck. So there are plenty of reasons why Christians should seek to be financially productive. But when it comes to our walk with God, it starts with this humility. And when we have this humble perspective, that prepares us to deal with money if God does give us more, too. If God does put that million dollars in our bank account, but our heart is here, our heart is waking up every morning saying, okay, Lord, I got a million dollars in the bank account. It's yours. Give me this day my daily bread. Tell me where you want me to put the million dollars. Next line, and forgive us our sins. So we've got praise, progress, provision, propitiation. Forgive us our sins. This is another acknowledgement. We just talked about the need for physical provision, acknowledging to God, Lord, I need you to fill my cupboards. I need you to fill my refrigerator. Now, we're acknowledging a different need for propitiation, our need for spiritual provision. All right, Lord, fill my fridge, but more importantly, forgive my sins. I need to be covered in the blood of the Lamb. I can't do this. I can't fix this. I come to, this is not an entitled request. You don't get to come to God and demand that he forgive your sins because you've earned it. No, we're asking, Lord, forgive us our sins. But also notice this next line. It's a very interesting line. And it should give us all some pause when it comes to the realm of bitterness, the realm of what we hold against others, the realm of how we feel towards those who have wronged us. What does Jesus say? Forgive us our sins for... That's pretty scary. You're going to say, Lord, forgive me my sins, and then you're going to give a reason why? For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's intense. That's, that's a little scary. That should give us pause before we're ready to condemn someone else, be angry with someone else, be bitter with someone else. Now we know that we're saved by grace through faith. And when we stand before God one day, we're not going to be accepted because, wow, you did a good job forgiving people. I guess you get to come into heaven. No, we come into heaven because we're covered in the blood of the Lamb by the grace of God. Saved by grace through faith alone. But Jesus definitely put a big exclamation point here. Big exclamation point. Don't go asking God for forgiveness while you're holding stuff against other people, while you're refusing to forgive others. Don't go like a little bottled up jar of bitterness up into the throne room of grace and say, hey, please forgive me for my stuff while you're seething inside. That's not okay. Elsewhere, Jesus tells us the parable about the, the servant who owed his master a billion dollars. 
and pleaded, please forgive me for my billion-dollar debt. And his master said, you know what? Fine, you're forgiven. And then he goes out and he meets somebody who owes him 10 bucks, obviously I'm paraphrasing, and says, pay me right now. And the guy can't pay him, and so he throws him in prison. And what, what happens? His master hears about it and is furious and brings him back and says, okay, then. That's the way you want to be? And throws him to the torturers until he pays up every last cent. So Jesus puts a huge exclamation point on the forgiveness of our hearts. Forgiveness should be the lubricant of the Christian home. It should be the lubricant of the Christian marriage. I think it's a Doug Wilson analogy talking about engines and, and engine oil. But engines generate friction just by the way they work. The internal combustion engine has explosions and moving parts that are constantly doing this at thousands of rotations per minute. If you don't have oil in there to lubricate it, then it seizes up and you throw a rod and your engine's toast. Forgiveness is the lubricant in our relationships because we generate friction because we're all a bunch of sinners and we all have a bunch of different personalities that clash against each other. So if our marriages don't get this, if our families don't get this, if our church communities don't get this, we're in trouble. We can't come to God and ask him for forgiveness, but also plan on just harboring resentment towards those around us. So I just skipped into the next one. So we have praise, progress, provision, propitiation, and practice. Practice is the one about our duty to forgive those around us. Notice this is the one part of this prayer that states, that it talks about my actions. Everything else, this is all, it's either, it's praise, it's requests, but right here, it's actually coming to God. I mean, this is huge. Coming to God saying, I have forgiven those who sinned against me. Can you say that? Can I say that? That's intense. And it shows an understanding of the magnitude of God's grace and my joyous obligation to share that grace with others. It should be a joyous obligation. It's not optional. We don't get to, it's not like, eh, I think I'll stay bitter with you. You don't, you don't have that choice. You're not allowed. If you're walking in the forgiveness of God, you're not allowed to refuse to forgive others. But it also should be our joy and overflow of what we have been given. The last one, protection. Lead us not into temptation. Acknowledging our need for his protection. And notice the spiritual focus. I think you can, I think you can apply it also. I, I don't think it's specifically what the text is talking about, but we know we need the Lord's protection physically also. And you could look to all sorts of psalms that talk about that. Talk about the Lord delivering from the, the snare of the fowler. But notice the emphasis on the spiritual focus. Lead us not into temptation. I want to not fall to sin. Lord, strengthen my hands. Prepare me for the fight. Give me victory. Make me a godly, faithful husband. Make me a loving, patient father. Make me a diligent, undistracted worker. Make me a fill-in-the-blank. Lead me not into temptation. Lord, strengthen me. I can't do this without you. I can't fight the good fight without you. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. For David, that is at least literal. We know that David was literally fighting physical battles. And I think from a biblical worldview, it covers both. The Lord is the one who strengthens us for whatever battles he's called us to fight physically, but also for spiritual battles. So, you got a spiritual thing you're struggling with? 
You got a sin that's beleaguering you, that you feel beset by? My question for you is how much time have you spent praying about it? Take that act of faith and go boldly into the throne room of God and say, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Wrestle with God like Jacob. Say, I will not let go until you bless me. We should be walking in victory over sin. Not talking about sinless perfectionism. We all fail in this life. But we should be walking in victory over sin. And this should be a prayer that we are consistently praying. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead my wife not into temptation. Lead my kids not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. I pray for my church community. For my brothers, Lord. Protect them from pornography. Protect them from um, laziness. Protect them from apathy. Strengthen their hands to be brave and courageous and faithful. Lord, I pray for my sisters. And just go down the list. We're in a war, guys. We're in a war. And God says, I have opened the communication channels directly into heaven. Call for backup. It's a standing invitation. And honestly, it's really, it's not calling for backup. Because that makes him sound like it's the, uh, the secondary line of defense. It's more like call for life, breath, survival, help. We need him. And he invites us to ask. And he promises to answer. So to sum that up, praise, progress, provision, propitiation, practice, and protection. Just kind of a little layout for prayer time. That can be helpful if you've got some time set aside to pray. Just think through. Okay, walk through these steps. Not necessarily quote the verses, but use the layout to help guide our minds through. Because it's easy to get stuck in ruts. It's easy to get stuck in prayer ruts where I just kind of have the same 15 things that I always pray every time. And it's, that's not, it's not bad to pray repeatedly for certain things, but it's good to get our brains and our souls thinking through, okay, what am I doing? What can I be praying for? So that we're growing in this spiritual discipline. All right, picking up in verse five, then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This is the second parable we read today about prayer and the need for persistence. Luke read earlier, about the unrighteous judge. And the widow was persistent. And so the judge granted her her request. Jesus tells us right here, suppose you have a friend. Go to him in the middle of the night. I need loaves. He's not going to give it to you. But you stand there, you keep pounding. He's going to give it to you because he wants you to go away. (laughs) Right? Now, God doesn't sleep. You don't catch God at a bad time. He delights to give good gifts to his children. And at the bottom, Jesus compares him to a father and says, look, if you guys know how to give good gifts to your kids and you're evil, you've got to love Jesus's bluntness. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give to those who ask him? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. There is a huge emphasis in scripture on the persistence of prayer. Why? Well, my theory is that we're back to faith again. 
You wouldn't persist at something that you didn't think mattered. The athlete trains every day for two years to get ready for the Olympics because he thinks the training is getting him somewhere. If he didn't think the training mattered and that he could just show up at the Olympics and win the gold medal, he wouldn't train. And so it is for us with persistent prayer. If we don't believe that prayer actually matters, why would we persist? We won't. But Jesus invites us to persist in prayer and says that somehow in God's marvelous sovereignty, in that great dance between his providence and how he works through means, somehow our persistent prayers matter. They change things. God uses them to actually change the course of history. So be persistent, brothers and sisters. What are those things that you, what, here's the application question here. What is it that you should be persisting in prayer about? Maybe prayer and fasting. What is it? What is it that you should be relentlessly coming before the Father over? Where is it that you need to be wrestling and refusing to let go until he blesses you? Where is it that I need to? Persist. Be stubborn. Not proud. Not proud. But stubborn. He invited us to. I'm going to get John Piper's phrase, gutsy guilt. This isn't gutsy guilt, but this is gutsy, gutsy prayer before the Holy One. And it's not pride. It's not coming in there demanding what I deserve. No, I'm, I'm fully aware that what I deserve is eternal judgment for my sin. That I'm coming before the presence of the God who made me and who could squash me with a thought. So it's not pride, but it is, you are my father. You invited me to come in and I'm coming in again. Coming in. I'm asking, Lord. I'm asking. Persist. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Pursuit. We've got persistence and then we've got pursuit. We're so used to hearing this phrase. You guys, you hear what Jesus is saying? You hear what he's commanding? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Just, just, just do it. Just ask. Just seek. Just knock. Just do it. Standing invitation from the Son of God. Ask, seek, knock, pursue. Now, when we talk about pursuing in prayer, we should remember what James talks about, how we ask and we don't receive because we ask so that we can spend it on our pleasures. We're not talking about pursuing. Man, I really want a Lamborghini. I want a Lamborghini so bad. Man, I'm wrestling with God in prayer every day to get me that Lamborghini. That, that's clearly not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what prayer is for. Go back to the beginning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Earth is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Set your perspective. Now come persist in prayer. Lord, this young person I know has left the faith. Bring them back, Lord. Bring them back, Lord. And you keep praying it. And you keep praying it until you're sobbing. And you do it again, and again, and again, and again. Pursue. Pursue kingdom goals. Pursue the things that God has laid on your heart. 
Persistence, pursuit, and then promise. Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. We just covered, we're not talking about health, wealth, prosperity. We're not talking about everyone who asks to be a top Forbes 100, you know, business exec is going to get it. No, that's not, that's not the point. The point is, when it comes to the things of the kingdom, when it comes to our sanctification, when it comes to the things of God's will, he answers prayer. He promises to. Your time is not wasted. But do you believe the promise? Do I believe the promise? And if I really, really, really believed it, like all the way down, how would it change my prayer life? A lot of times, when you talk about prayer, it's kind of like this guilt thing. Like, ah, none of us pray enough. We're just all lousy. We don't pray. That's, that's not the point. It's a standing invitation. Come pray. Come ask. Come seek. And if you are, wonderful. If you're walking daily in the presence of God, and however that looks in your season of life, I know my wife does not have an hour a day to go pray. She just doesn't. But this is still true for her. She's still got to get with the Lord. She has to walk with Jesus. Whatever. He knows we're mortals. He's not up in heaven looking down saying, oh, look at that guy. He's only praying for 15 minutes. What a, what a loser. I know he's working a full-time job and he has 18 kids and so on and so forth. But man, what a loser. That's not the way the Lord works. But we need to be taking him up on this promise. That's all there is to it. If prayer does what the Bible says it does, we can't afford to just let it get forgotten. Makes me think of the Martin Luther quote I have, paraphrasing, but he said something like, I have so much to do today that I'm going to spend three hours in prayer. That's just, it's just true. Not, Not that every Christian should be spending three hours in prayer. We can't all do that. But we should have a perspective that says, God... If you bless my day, I will get more done in 30 minutes than I would get done in eight hours if you don't bless my day. So however, whatever faithful, whatever the prayers of a faithful mortal look like for me, if that's 15 minutes or if that's while I'm driving or whatever it is, whatever it's supposed to look like in my walk with the Lord, I'm going to do it because I need the blessing of God. And I recognize that setting aside prayer so that I can go do more in my own strength is shooting myself in the foot. It's completely pointless. It's like, instead of, I'm trying to cut down a tree and I should go sharpen the ax. I should spend five minutes sharpening the ax so that I can cut the tree down. And instead, I'm actually going to whack at the tree with the backside of the ax and not make any progress at all. Right? That, that should be our perspective of prayer. If I don't have the blessing of God, I'm whacking the handle of the ax on the tree. And it would be well, I would be very well served to go spend a few minutes sharpening the ax seeking the blessing of God, and then go start swinging. He does still call us to swing. He does want us to get out there and swing. But we must do it in his strength with this humble perspective that we need him to open the doors. Now suppose one of you fathers, listen to this, listen to this. Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Implied answer, of course not. Of course not, I wouldn't do that. Or if he's asked for an egg... He will not give him a scorpion, will he? Of course not. Who would do that? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think it's very interesting, that last sentence. 
Jesus doesn't just say, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts? He says, give the Holy Spirit. I don't know exactly why. That's how he said it. But I know what comes to my mind, the way I read that is, that that's as good as it gets. If you as a father, you will give good gifts to your children. He asks for bread, you give him a slice of bread. Ask your heavenly father and he will give you the Holy Spirit. Like that, that's, that's the top rung. That's as good as it gets. There's no better gift. If he's going to give you that, thinking of another verse, he who gave us his own son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? He's going to give us the Holy Spirit. By implication, he's going to also take care of the rest. So we've got persistent, persistence, pursuit, and promise. We note through this process our own neediness, that we need to receive something that we don't inherently have. I need to find something outside of myself. That's the implication of prayer, is I need something that I don't have within me. I can't kick the door down. Jesus says, knock, and it will be opened. What does that imply? Somebody has to open it. I can't, just, I can't just force my way in. I need something. I need to receive something that I don't inherently have. Then we have the picture of the Father. And that picture finds its perfection in God, the perfect Father, who gives perfect gifts, even better than the ones in the picture, the bread and the egg, And the last point would be the preeminence, the Holy Spirit, the best gift the Father could give. He doesn't stop short. That's the kind of God we serve. The kind of God we serve is a God who doesn't pull up short in giving gifts to his children. He lavishes goodness upon us. Not not as people in the eyes of flesh might see it. People in the eyes of flesh see the person with the $500,000 car and the $5 million mansion. Oh, that guy has it all. I'm not saying it's bad to be rich if that guy's using his money for the kingdom of God. God bless him. But we all have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. If we've repented of our sins, if we've put our faith in Christ, if we're saved, then we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. My goodness. If he's given us that, if that's the kind of God we serve, then brothers and sisters, let's ask and let's seek. And let's knock and let's anticipate by faith that our God will answer prayers in a way that we can only imagine. May it not be that it is through our lack of asking that we don't see our God move in mighty ways because that's the kind of God that he is. Let's pray.